The following is a message from Pastor Ellis Orozco of First Baptist Richardson. For more information, please visit fbcr.org. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for worshiping this morning. I know that you're still, some of you are still, still visiting. Please go ahead and make your way back to your seats as soon as you can. We want to go ahead and we want to move into a time of reading God's word and listening to God. But thank you for these beautiful creations. I, I started the one at this table. I happen to think it's the best um, of all of them. Yeah. But it's a beautiful thing that you've created. It's a beautiful thing that when we, when we connect to each other, and, we, and we, we give our lives to each other in that way and invest in each other. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Thank you for participating in that, that this morning. I hope that you don't, that you don't forget that lesson. Uh, we are in Matthew chapter 8, and this is part of our well readings. If you're not part of the well Bible reading journey, I want to encourage you to be a part of that. You can get a well journal out in, the, out in the welcome center in the lobby. It's free, and we just ask you to join us as we read God's word every day together. We're all reading the same passages praying over the same passages, asking God to speak to us as a church from the same passages. And this last week, we were in Matthew chapter 8. And so I'm going to read from there, Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 to 22. So let's read Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 to 22. And this is what the Word of God says. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. It's been a difficult week for most people, most caring, compassionate people to watch what's happening in our world Natural fear, not only of our brothers, for our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine who are experiencing horrible things, but also for the potential escalation of that situation. And so it's, it's, it's hard. It's, it's one of those moments, though, I want you to see. It can be one of those moments that, that I call clarifying moments. They happen in the Bible. They're sprinkled throughout the Bible. They are these clarifying moments, moments that exert so much, so much stress, so much concern, so much angst, that they push us into this clarifying place. My contention is, from the reports I'm reading from our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in Ukraine, pastors and other leaders, this is what it is for them in a very real way, this clarifying moment. What, what are you really made, made of? I, I love the tweet that was put out, uh, the Ukrainian president uh, Zelensky, um, he's 44 years old, he's the president of the country, and reportedly he turned down an offer from the United States to be evacuated from the Ukrainian capital of Kiev uh, as Russia moves in. They, they, they offered to, to take him to safety, and the tweet says, the, he, his tweet is, the fight is here, I need ammunition, I need ammunition not a ride. I need ammunition, not, not a ride. Obviously for him, this is a clarifying moment. And when you see pictures of him in the fatigues with ready to fight alongside his countrymen, he's the president of the country and he's, I can't imagine that. 
picture the president in fatigues on the streets with gun ready to fight. And this is a, this is a clarifying moment. It's my contention, as one of my friends wrote, that, that 50 years from now, 100 years from now, when Ukraine is free again, they will build statues for this guy who said, I'm not leaving, I'm staying, right? It's a clarifying moment. And you've seen the pictures of heartbreaking. I, I, I'm not, I, the videos, I didn't want to show a video because I, I personally can't make it through the video of, of fathers saying goodbye to their children knowing that they will probably, probably never see them again. It's this clarifying moment. And what I want you to see is the, what we have in the scripture this morning is one such uh, similar clarifying moment that Jesus, every once in a while, he pushes us, he some usually drags us, kicking and screaming, into these, into these clarifying moments. So Jesus has just finished preaching his most famous sermon. It's the Sermon on the Mount. We went through it, if you're in the well Bible reading journey, you went through it, and it's Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. That's the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is basically a sermon about, about relationships. It's about caring for people. It's about where our heart is supposed to be. He begins the sermon, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are they that mourn. He says, blessed are you, you are the light of the world, you plural, you as a community, these relationships. He goes on to talk about about murder and divorce and adultery and the way we talk to each other and the way we treat each other. The culmination, the climactic point in the Sermon on the Mount is in early chapter 7, late chapter 6, where he says, he says, love your neighbor, yes, but also love your enemy. And then the climax is this one line where he says, basically, I can sum it all up by saying this, just treat other people the way you want to be treated. We call it the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. See, the entire sermon is all about the way you treat people, about the way you live with people, about the way you communicate with people, and about the way you relate to people. And so he comes off of that experience, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, and Matthew chapter 8, and for the next three chapters, 8, 9, and 10, he begins to live out what he has just preached in the sermon. We see Jesus actually modeling exactly what he has been saying in the sermon. He comes down from the mountain. The crowds are following him. And he begins to, this preaching, teaching, healing tour of Galilee. And his disciples are there with him. They're watching all along. And he begins to heal people. He, he heals a man who's, who's blind. He heals a paralyzed man. He, he heals a man who cannot speak. He's, you see, he's bringing healing and wholeness to every village that he enters. He's, he's exorcising demons. He heals a woman who was sick for a very long time. He even raises a little girl from the dead. He's bringing healing and wholeness everywhere he goes. He is living out, he's living out the Sermon on the Mount. And it's all leading to chapter 10. So in chapter 10, 8, 9, and then 10, in chapter 10, what he does is he sends his disciples out into the countryside, instructing them to go from village to village, two by two, doing exactly what he has been doing. He empowers them to take this healing message to heal people, to exorcise demons, even to raise people from the dead. He empowers them to do all the things that that they have just watched him doing and he sends them out uh, to do it. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verses seven and eight. He says, as you go, proclaim this message. He's sending them out. He says, as you go, Proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. Right? 
He's sending them out to bring healing and wholeness to the villages and to their community. But before he does that, before he gets to chapter 10, and here's the point I want to make. We're in chapter 8, so let's backtrack again. This is where it's all headed, chapter 10, where he's going to send them out to do exactly what he's been doing. But before he does that, before they can go and experience what they experience in chapter 10, healing and exercising demons and performing miracles and preaching the gospel, before they can do that, Jesus has to take them to this clarifying moment. And this is what he's doing in Matthew chapter 8. He is pushing his disciples to this clarifying moment. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. It says that Jesus came down from the mountain, right? When Jesus came down from the mountainside, where he had delivered the Sermon on the Mount, when he comes down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. Of course they did. He's healing. He's performing miracles. He's teaching. And one of the persons in that crowd, the scripture reports, steps forward and he is a teacher of the law. It may have meant that he was a rabbi. Rabbi, the word rabbi simply means teacher. He may have been, probably most likely was a member of the, of the uh, religious political group called Pharisees. Within that group, there was a subset called scribes. These were the experts on the law. They knew the Mosaic law. They were the teachers of the law. And so he's a part of that group and he steps forward and he, he says to Jesus, um, I'll go wherever you go. There was something about what Jesus was doing, something about what Jesus was saying, something about the way Jesus was behaving, something about the way Jesus was embodying the, the ethic of the Sermon on the Mount, something about what he was doing that resonated with this young man. And it's to the point where he comes to Jesus, he says, wherever you go, Jesus, I will go, right? Have you ever felt that way? Where something you're reading the word of God and something in the word of God leaps out at you and grabs a hold of you and, and shakes you to your core. Something about the word gets inside of you and resonates with you to the place where you have to do something. You have to do something about it. This is what's happening with this, with this man. He has to do something. I, I believe that this teacher of the law was absolutely sincere when he comes to Jesus. You can hear it in his voice. I mean, he says to Jesus, I will follow you, Jesus, to the ends of the earth. Here's a young man who is going to leave behind all of his friends, his village, and everything he's been working for. He's a teacher of the law, for goodness sakes, right? He's a part of the group of Pharisees. He, if he knows that moving to the Jesus movement is basically he'll be dead to them. He's ready to leave everything. And he says to Jesus, I don't care where you're going, wherever it is, I will I will follow you. I mean, what more could a rabbi want? This is the kind of disciple, I mean, I, you know, to have a church full of these guys, right? This is the kind of disciple that Jesus is looking for. That's why this makes his response very interesting, right? It almost seems harsh. Where this, this young man had just said, I will leave everything to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus takes him and the rest of the disciples with him to this clarifying moment. I'm telling you, it happens in your life again and again where Jesus keeps pushing you, God keeps pushing you to these clarifying moments. And Jesus takes him there to this clarifying moment. What does Jesus say to him? He says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man, which was his favorite 
his favorite title for himself. He's talking about himself. He says, the son of man, in other words, I, Jesus, do not have a place to lay my head. Which by inference means if you're going to follow me and be like me, then neither will you have a place to lay your head. You see, I think what he's saying is that when you follow Jesus, when you enter into this, this covenant with Jesus, this, this relationship with Jesus, that eventually is going to lead to chapter 10, where you're going to go out and you're going to connect and you're going to, you're going to do all the things that Jesus did. But it, this, this, when you enter into that relationship with Jesus, become a Jesus follower, it completely reorders your values. It completely reorders your values. The things that you valued before Jesus, you do not value as much after Jesus. When I was a teenager, um, my big goal was to make a lot of money. That was it. And so I went to A&M, as you do, right? Thank you, thank you. All my Aggie friends. Got a degree in engineering, got a job back in Houston so that I could make a lot of money. This was my goal. You say, well, Alice, wasn't there like something deeper? That No, no, there wasn't anything deeper. That was it. I was very, very shallow. I wanted to make a lot of money. Um, and then about a year into that engineering experience, um, a friend of mine invited me to church. Um, I was going to church, the little church that I grew up in. But this friend of mine invited me to to his church on Sunday evening. It wasn't a, it wasn't a Baptist church, right? Um, it was a Pentecostal church he invited me to. Um, I, I had never in my life up to that point been to a not a Baptist church. And so I go to this church and the preacher preaches and something happens. I don't remember who was preaching. I couldn't even direct you to where the church is today. I don't remember what he said. I just know that something happened inside of me. And it was the beginning of what eventually would be my call to ministry. It was the beginning. And it changed me forever. And when it did that, it completely and radically reordered my values I began to devour the word of God like never before. Now, you understand, I was brought up in church. I was, I was a good little Baptist boy. I had gone to Sunday school every Sunday of my life. I had all the stars to prove it on the chart. But I began to read the word of God in ways I had never read it before as God began to do something in me because this is what happens when you, when you surrender yourself to the call of Jesus, when you, when you become a Jesus follower, it completely reorders your values. It reorders the things that you begin to chase, right? It begins to, to reorder the things that you're chasing. Paul says it this way in his letter to the Philippians. He says, I want to know Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Paul, Paul says, all the things that I used to chase, all the things that I lusted after before, all the things that I was driven to get, the things I wanted with all my heart, all of the accolades and the plaques and the degrees and all those things. Not that there's anything wrong with those things, but he says, all those things that I was chasing after with all my heart and oh, how I wanted them. They were gold to me. 
these things that I was chasing. They were gold to me, Paul says. And I look back at them now, and now they look like a bunch of, well, he uses a pretty crass word. It just looks like a pile of dog dung, Paul says, to me. Now, in comparison, in comparison to what I have now, Paul says, in comparison to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, I want to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so as to somehow, some way to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul says, I just want to know Jesus. That's all I want. Man, go read it, Philippians chapter three, but you have to read it with as much passion as I just quoted it. This is what he's feeling. Because when you become a follower of Jesus, it completely reorders your values. And then this other disciple comes to Jesus on the cusp of the first disciple, the first teacher of the law. Another one comes and says, "Uh, Jesus, I want to follow you, but first let me go bury my father. And Jesus gets even harsher. Jesus says to him, no, 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 no. Follow me and let the dead bury the dead. That's strange. Why would he say that? I mean, it doesn't seem like a, an unreasonable request. I don't think that what Jesus was saying was disrespect your father or don't worry about your father or don't bury your father. I don't think he was saying that at all. I think the point he was trying to make, and it was an important point for his disciples and it's an important point for us, is that when you become a follower of Jesus, not only does it completely reorder your, your values, but it completely reorders your ties of affection. It, it reorders the things that you are affectionate for and the ones that you are affectionate for. It comes out in his Sermon on the Mount where he says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor. And that's all good and well. But who, who can't love their neighbor? I mean, the neighbor, right? The, you, the one you borrow milk from and, and sugar from, right? And do we still do that? Go over next door and borrow milk and sugar. The, your neighbor, of course, I mean, anyone can love someone who has helped them and who loves them. That's easy to do. But I say to you, love your enemy. That's a lot harder. You see how he's reordering your ties of affection. Who, who, who are you thinking about? Who, who is on your heart? See, here's, here's part of the reason, I think, for every, for every follower of Jesus, the, what, is, what is happening in the Ukraine right now, and the Ukraine is just the, the latest example of this, But for us, what we have there is that we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering. They're suffering. And they are our brothers and they are our sisters in Jesus Christ. This is what being a follower of Jesus does to you. Doesn't it? It ties you. A a, a new whole set of Ties of affection 
that you have, it's not that the old ties of affection are null and void. There's nothing wrong with loving your mother or your father or your, your brother or your sister, your biological brother or sister, your family. Of course, it's good to do that. It's just that these ties have expanded now. Now we, we don't just love them. We also love all of our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. There's this scene in the Gospels where Jesus is preaching and teaching and the Pharisees are coming down on him and the Pharisees are really angry with him and they're trying to, they're trying to trap him and Jesus' life is in danger. There are other political things that are happening in the region with Herod and Tippus and how he's after Jesus and other things. But, but his life is in real danger. And at one point, his mother and his brothers and sisters come and they try to rescue him. I, I'm, I'm firmly convinced they recognize Jesus is going to get killed saying the things he's saying and doing the things he's doing. And they come to try to rescue him. They tell the Pharisees, leave him alone. He's crazy, right? He's a little off. We'll take care of him. Please don't hurt him. And then they try to get to Jesus. Jesus has come to a house and he's teaching in the house and the house is crowded, packed full. And they come and they can't get into the house. There's so many people in there. People come to Jesus and say, hey, your mom and your brothers and your sisters are at the door. They can't get in. And Jesus Another strange response, right? What does Jesus say? He says, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, who's my mother, who's my brother, who's my sister? He basically turns to them and says, all of you are my mother and my father and my brother and my sister, whoever does the will of God. In other words, there's this, this movement of a tie of affection that we have. We, we have to care. We, we have to care. If your brother or your sister were over there, wouldn't you care? You would be on the cell phone night and day, worried sick about their safety, about getting them out, about helping them, right? These are our brothers and our sisters who are hurting in there. And I just stand amazed. I, I, when I see what's happening with our brothers and sisters, um, there's some reports coming out. I read an article in Christianity Today. It was on the internet, so it must be true. Um, but this was a president of uh, the Baptist Seminary, I believe, in Kiev. It says, with a laden heart, pastor and seminary president Taras, and I'm going to butcher his last name, Diatlik, wrote uh, to supporters of theological education of the many prayer needs currently facing his, his church and the seminary leaders in Ukraine, including refugees, that they're bringing into the church. He asked for prayer for families, including his own. As Ukraine's announcement of total mobilization means many students, graduates, faculty will be called for military duty to serve in the army and participate in the combat. He says this, he says, today I talked to my wife about, about evacuation out of Ukraine. This is the pastor, seminary president. I talked to my wife about evacuation out of, out of Ukraine and he, he says, she immediately refused and said, I will be with you to the very end. Yeah. Um, another pastor at Urban Bible Church, 18 miles north of Kiev, said this. When, he says, when this is over, the citizens of Kiev will remember how Christians have responded in their time of need. He said, we will shelter the weak, serve the suffering, and mend the broken. And as we do... We offer the unshakable hope of Christ in his gospel. And I read that and I see that. And um, I have to wonder um, 
how our brand of cultural Christianity, how it would hold up under under similar circumstances. We have a lot to learn from our Ukrainian brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a lot to learn from them. And I would encourage you through this, if you do nothing else, is to keep informed of what's happening with our brothers and sisters in Christ in the Ukraine. And watch them. Watch, with, watch them. Because I have a feeling that we have, we have a lot to learn from them. Because this is what happens when you become a follower of Jesus. It completely reorders your ties of affection. That that person, that person down, living from you down the street becomes suddenly very important to you. Jesus says, that, that could be your brother or sister in Christ. That person, we've been talking about connections, right? About making these connections. And on the way out, by the way, we're going to give you a little baggie that's, that has a card in there, a connection card, and it has a couple of smaller, right, Legos, right? We're giving you Legos on the way home. Yippee, aren't you glad? But what we want you to do with that smaller Lego is we want you to keep it somewhere where you can see it. Keep it in your pocket. Keep it, keep it in your dresser. Keep it in, in wherever you get ready in the morning so you see it every morning. You see it every day or maybe it's in your pocket and you feel it. Every time you go for some change, you, you feel that Lego because that's, that's once we want that to remind you that you as a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you have a completely different ties of affection than anyone else. This is what Jesus said at the beginning of his sermon. He says, um, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And I've thought a lot about that, but what does he mean? And I've come, I've come to the conclusion that what he means by that is blessed are those who never forget how to feel. Blessed are those who are not afraid to feel. To feel with other people. The Bible calls that compassion. To feel with. Blessed are those who go through life and their their hearts are not so hardened. They are not so bitter. They are not so cynical that that they start refusing to feel with other people. Blessed are those whose hearts break over the things that break the heart of God. It's true that they may go through this life weeping, but he said, and this life may be difficult for that reason. But he says, but they are the very ones who will be absolutely comforted by God. Because they're not afraid to feel. They're not afraid to open their hearts up. Right? Their hearts are breaking over the things that break the heart of God. You know, our vision as a church is to bring healing and wholeness to our community and beyond. Everywhere we go to bring healing and wholeness to our community and beyond, even as we are being transformed by Jesus. We want to bring this healing and wholeness. This is what Jesus has sent us to do. Jesus never said, follow me and I'll get you into heaven. I believe he does that, but that's not what he said. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He said, follow me and together we will be bring God's transforming power to people who desperately need it. Follow me and you will become a conduit of God's love and God's grace to a world that absolutely needs his love and his grace. Follow me, Jesus said, and we will change the world. Forget about heaven for a moment. Follow me. Don't worry about heaven. I'll get you to heaven. But follow me and together we will change this world. Do you believe he has the power to do that? And if he's going to do it, 
He's going to do it through you and through me. So these Legos, these intentional connections, we want them to be a reminder. Hopefully you'll go out, maybe go out into the lobby and play with them some more. I think there's going to be Legos at every table, right? And you can go out there and play with them some more. But we want it to be a reminder to you that Jesus has completely reordered your ties of affection. He's completely reordered your values if you're a follower of Jesus. And he calls us into these transformational relationships with the people around us. That's his call on your life. That's his call on my life. That's his call for our church. I pray that you will join us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace, your strength and your peace. Father, we pray right now for our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine and our hearts are breaking because we know that your heart is breaking over this. Oh, we see the pictures and the videos that come back. Oh, our hearts go out, Father. And we just, we pray that you would help us to know how to pray, to even know how to pray for that situation. Father, I come to this and, and half the time and I just don't even know what to pray. I don't know enough about the politics or about the regime and about what's, I don't know enough, but I, I pray and you promise us in your word that when we don't have the words, that we can come to you with groans and crying and weeping and you will give us the words, that you will hear our hearts even when we don't have the human words to express it. So we come to you now like that. And we just pray, Father, for, for our world. And we pray that you would help us, Father, because we recognize that if we can't bring healing and wholeness to the person who lives right next door to us, then we'll never be able to do it to the person living in the Ukraine. If we can't care for and connect to and love the people all around us, then loving the enemy is a pipe dream. So Father, help us. Help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.